not, I invite you to turn with me to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, as you hear of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, many of you immediately know what that chapter has for uh, its subject. It is the love chapter. Uh, you hear it read a lot at weddings and it's uh, remarked on a lot in uh, different premarital counseling and uh, those sorts of things. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. I had a scripture uh, hit me in a way that I hadn't before not too long ago. One of the things that um, I've, I've tried to do, and maybe it's just partly because of how I uh, read, um, but maybe it's also just because it's something I think is a good practice, is uh, when I see crowds in the Bible... There's a lot of different instances in the scriptures where it tells about a crowd of people. I try to put myself in the crowd. Try to put myself amongst that big group of people and what that must have been like in that context that that they were seeing. Obviously, we see that in the life of Jesus a lot. And when we see the perspective of the disciples and we see the perspective of Christ as, as he would look upon the multitudes or as they would see the crowds. But as I think about what that must have been like to be a part of the crowd, it kind of sparks a different perspective. So I was thinking about it and studying then the account of the woman with the issue of blood. We know that story well. You'll find it over in the 8th chapter book of Luke as well as in some of the other Gospels. But as we think about that, one thing that it notes about that account or what was going on with Jesus is he was going because Jairus had asked that he would come to heal his daughter. And he's making his way there, and, and as he's making his way there, Scripture tells us that there was a people that a multitude that thronged him. There's a big crowd of people that was pressing against him. And as I thought about what that must have been like to be in that crowd, number one, it makes me really uncomfortable. I, I, I don't like crowds in that sense, and I normally try to find the path of least resistance, so I'd have been looking for how I could get out of that crowd most likely. But as I thought about that, and then this woman... Humbled by her situation, humbled by her illness. She had this issue of blood that she'd had for 12 years. Doctors couldn't figure out how to cure it. They couldn't figure out how to give her relief from this issue. But she saw one that she believed could help her. And she was in a situation where there was this big throng of people that were preventing her from getting to him. And so I can just imagine what it must have been like for her to try to get into a situation and it seemed like she had to go low to try to get through the throng of people low enough and to get close enough that she could reach out and touch Jesus. And all she touched, Scripture tells us, was the border of His garment. We call that a hymn sometimes. I don't know altogether if that's the right way to put it or not. But Scripture tells us that she reached out to touch the border of His garment. As I put myself in that throng of people, and I thought about what this woman must have been doing, and what I must have been thinking if I was in that crowd that day, as I've been thinking, sheesh, what is this woman's problem? What is she doing? That she's on her hands and knees trying to squeeze through all these people to reach out to touch him. I'd have been critical of her. What is she doing? She's making herself look. I bet you'd have thought the same thing if you were in that crowd that day. We don't have the benefit of hindsight where we can look back and see her faith and see her belief that if she could just somehow touch this man, this man that had proclaimed himself to be the Son of God, if she could just reach out and touch him, that he had the power to heal her. We have the hindsight to look back and know that to be the case. But in the moment, those people didn't. My, what they must have thought about her. 
we find this same exact attitude that people had in other accounts of Christ. There was one time that Jesus healed a man who had been blind since birth. Had been blind since birth and he was made to see. But Jesus healed him on the Sabbath and stirred up all sorts of controversy. Such that people came to this man, this man that they had known had been blind since he was born, and they came to him, and they weren't interested about the fact that he could see. They wanted to know about this man that had broke the Sabbath. And you, you, you see the account of this man? He was looking at them basically to say, why are you worried about this? Do you not understand that I was blind and now I can see? I don't know if this man was a sinner or not. And to be honest, I really don't care. All that my focus is on is that I have been changed. I have been healed of what people had told me I would never be able to see. But behold, I see. Whether this man be a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, whereas I was once blind, now I see. Yet the people had their hearts to be more critical of Christ and His healing than they did to see the miracle. There is a lesson for all of us in that. And Faith Church, I want you to know, as I have spent time praying, as I have spent time studying, alone in my thoughts and meditation, I have come to the one thing that God has shown me most ails us as a church is that we have that same attitude where we become critical cynics, skeptics towards our attitudes of others. We're no different than those people that would have saw that woman reaching out to touch the hem of or the border of, of the garment of Christ, thinking this woman is crazy. Look at her getting low. Worried more about what we thought about her actions than the faith and intent of her heart to reach out and touch the border of the garment of Christ. Or to be more worried about, well, tell me about the situation that led to this miracle rather than rejoicing at the miracle that one who was unable to see and was blind has now been made to see. Hey, church, I want you to know I believe God has showed and revealed what holds us back and impedes us is our critical judgment of others. So what about that? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4. It says, Charity, that is love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not brag on itself. It doesn't vaunteth itself up. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly or rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. Listen to this, verse 7. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. We could preach for months on this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to read those four verses and I just want to tell you about the last one. Specifically the first two stanzas, the first two segments, the first two portions of that last verse. 
where it says that love bears all things and that love believes all things. I want to talk to you about the benefit of the doubt. You know what the benefit of the doubt is? What it means, where it came from? The idea of it dates back to the late 1700s. It was introduced in Ireland. And it's actually where we have the roots of our system where if somebody's going to be determined that they are guilty of a crime, they have to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. They are given the benefit of the doubt. That if you are charged as, as being led to believe that you have committed to some crime or committed some crime, that you are given the benefit of the doubt, that if there is some doubt that you may not have done this thing, you cannot be proven guilty. You're given the benefit of the doubt. We, as God's people, have an expectation based upon the qualities of love, the character of love, that we would give the benefit of the doubt to others. That's what it means when it says that love believes all things. That love bears all things. It carries with it the weight of an expectation that we are going to pass judgment on something, that we are going to believe it based upon what we hear, that we're going to bear it based upon what we learn about the situation. We may be proven wrong later, but love, the expectation of love, carries with it the idea that we are going to extend the benefit of the doubt. We are challenged by this. We are challenged with extending the benefit of the doubt to others. Meanwhile, we expect and desire that we would receive the benefit of the doubt ourselves when others look upon us. My hope, my, my desire is that when somebody has a problem with something they've heard about of me or, or has a problem or, or thinks something ill of me about what I've done, they give me the benefit of the doubt about my intent. You know, I, I question what Derek did in that situation, but you know what? I believe his heart was in the right place. That's my hope that people would have about me. That they'd give me the benefit of the doubt concerning how I had to weigh something or determine something or decide to act on something or to not act on something, that we provide the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things. When we are faced with situations and, and, and problems in life that we hear about or that we learn about others, at our best, what we're equipped to judge them by is surface level, isn't it? All we know is what we know on the surface about something. At our best, that we can try to understand somebody at an individual level. And in fact, this is why there's so many personality tests. You ever wondered about that? There's all sorts of personality tests that you can go out and, and take online or wherever else. My, my workplace, they have given out these personality tests to us, and they believe that it's going to help us work better together and those sorts of things. And you hear about somebody being a top type A personality. It's interesting, I never hear of anybody else being anything but a type A personality, but you hear about people being a type A personality. I was thinking about that, and you know what I decided? What our personalities, our, our personality test ought to be? It's that I am a C. Remember that song? I am a C. 
I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Our personalities are supposed to take on the, the mind and the personality that is in Christ Jesus. And so that's what we should be looking for and looking at, is how we can pursue after the character of Jesus. And as we extend towards that, and as we pursue that in, what takes place in us is that we're moving beyond this superficial, surface-level love that we try to apply to one another. And instead, as we try to grasp the love that God has for us, we begin to bear and to believe all things as the expectation of love would provide to us. And we are to bear it and to believe it. When we think about this reality of how we are to bear with one another, I want to let you in on a little secret about myself, about who I am by my nature. You, you might already know this about me, actually. I'm not perfect. I didn't let anybody in on any secrets, did I? I'm not perfect. And neither are you. We need one another to bear with us. I need you just to believe in me sometime. No, Derek, that sermon was just flatter than a pancake. But you know what? I believe that God's going to continue to work in him. You know, I believe that person, they've really gone astray in sin. But I believe they're saved. And I believe they know my Redeemer. And so I'm going to go into my prayer closet. I'm going to shut my door. And I'm going to call out to God on their behalf that God who sees in private will open their eyes to their situation. And I'm going to do that rather than going about expressing critical opinions and skepticism about them to others. You see the difference? Love bears all things. And love believes all things. In the book of Colossians in the third chapter, we see there that God is, is writing through the pen of Paul and he has wrote, and you've heard me talk about before what Paul has wrote about how we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That, that's found there in that third chapter of the book of Colossians. Well, as he pivots away from that, he pivots away from the negative, he pivots to the positive about the things that we are expected to be. We are expected to bear with one another. <laughs> to bear with one another. He provides that expectation in light of this. In light of the expectation of knowing that none of us are perfect, but all of us are to strive after the perfection of Christ. That seeing that be the cause of, of our affliction in, the sin, in, the, in this flesh of sin, Seeing that we battle daily with this flesh of sin, with this, this body, this, this bag of bones that we are constantly struggling with in our spirits. Seeing that this be the case, bear with one another. I want to ask you a question. I just want you to be real, real honest with yourself. When you hear and when you see about situations, what is your response? Is it immediately to develop an opinion about it, about how you feel about something, and to express that to someone? Or is it instead to take it, and to consider it, and to pray about it, 
and to compare and to consider how it measures up to the Scriptures. Let that form your opinion or, or your expectation or understanding of it and then respond accordingly. There's a big difference in those two things. But what we're faced with as a people is that we know more about the lives of those that are around us today than at any point in the past. I can jump on, in this case, my wife's social media. I don't have anything. But I can jump on my wife's social media accounts. I can pull up your profile. I can learn more about your life and the things that you have done and your actions than at any point in history of believers that have congregated together in the fellowship of the body of Christ that is called the church. Yet, while we know more about the lives of those that are around us, we have less of an understanding and a bond that has a depth to it than we ever have before. We know more about each other, but we have less understanding about each other than we ever have. If you don't believe me about that, you go back and you study church history. And you'll see and begin to understand the depths of the bonds that God's people had formed with one another. There are some of you that I am and have been for a long time very close with to the point that we can just about fill in each other's sentences when we get ready to say something or, or have a thought but it's because we know more than just about what the other person's involved with in their day-to-day because we have access to it. But instead, it's because we've had deep, meaningful conversations that cut to the elements and the understanding that lies within us that is what is able to allow us to develop a belief in the other person. You ever heard that idea that you know what makes somebody tick? You know where that comes from? What makes a clock tick? Well, if you have an old clock and you can kind of tear into it, you're going to find all these gears and how all those things work together for that clock to keep time. And it's what's inside of that that keeps it and makes it tick. There is that which is in all of us that makes us tick. Those things that my wife knows about me, that, that she knows, you know, that's just something that's going to push Derek's buttons. She knows that when we're trying to get out the door, I just need to go get in the car. She'll figure out the rest. <laughs> And I know there's things about her that if I put that plate in the sink instead of rinsing it off and putting it in the dishwasher, I'm starting a world war. I know what makes her tick and she knows what makes me tick. And because of that, we're able to have a deep understanding of each other so that when something happens and I can be able to get down to the depth of the reality what's caused her to react a certain way or to think the way that she has or to have the attitude about something that she has. That is probably the same way in the closest relationship that you share, whether that's with your spouse, whether that's with your, your family members, or whomever it might be. You believe in your spouse. You believe in your children. You believe in your closest family members. We are the family of God. Love believes all I was reminded of something yesterday. I went back and I listened to one of the sermons from Old Union this year. Brother Jerry Reynolds was preaching, and he was preaching about the subject of, of, of 
basically prophecy, but he talked about a lot of different things in, in that, that lesson. But as he was talking about that, he was giving the example of when Christ took uh, Peter and James and John and he went up to, to be transfigured before them. And how he was transfigured and, and revealed in his glory and how there came and spoke for, with him was Moses and Elijah. Brother Reynolds made this point. He said, don't you think that Peter, James, and John, when they descended off that, that mountain that day, that they were led to have a refined belief and a newfound belief and confidence that what Moses had said in the Old Testament was true? Why? Because they had just saw Moses face to face. If you have been saved by God's grace, my expectation for you is that you must believe the Scriptures. You are a witness for Christ. You've not seen Him face to face, but you've seen Him spiritually and inwardly. And so you must be someone that reasons that this book is true. And if you reason that this book is true, when you think about those things, it is not that it's somehow then just a book of recommendations. Why do I say all that? Because I'm getting to this point. I want to read this scripture to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read the first 12 verses, reading from the NASB. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, it says, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in in an understanding way, as was someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Listen to what he gets to. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, what the King James Version translates as pitiful, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and His ears attend to their to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I know that's a little bit lengthy here in the middle of this sermon. I want to tell you the first part about believing the Scriptures, because I'm not going to get near some of this stuff here. Well, there's some of that that makes us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you just going to have to go back and take it up with God. I just read the thing. I didn't write it. There's two aspects I want to call out to your attention. One is what he said about women. He said, but let it be that the adorning of a woman, let it be the hidden person of the heart and the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. 
Now, we see here Peter was writing, he was writing this with the direction to, to wives, the direction to women. But I want you to know it's no different than what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that we are to be pure in heart, that we are to be meek. It's the same characteristics that Peter is talking about here. That we would be have this imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit. The second thing I want you to see is when he says to sum it all up, for all of you, everyone, for, for men, women, for husbands, wives, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. I think that the King James is a better job of handling that word for kind-hearted. The King James translates it as pitiful. We are to be pitiful. Now, when you and I think of being pitiful, we think of that as a little baby, and we'll say, what a pitiful little cry. Someone that we are to have pity on. But the actual language here, when we say pitiful, it carries with it this idea of having an expression of love about us towards others that find themselves in different circumstances and situations of life. The, the literal definition of pitiful, as Webster uh, characterized it in 1828, had on it this weight that it was to suffer with someone. To be pitiful means that when we see our brothers and our sisters, whether we disagree with what they've done or not done, whatever the situation is, that we would be pitiful towards them. Kind-hearted towards them. Gentle with them. I'm reminded oftentimes when I am dealing with a situation of grievous sin that has befallen somebody, that God has entrusted me to deal with someone's soul. That's altogether different. We're to be careful in what we have to say or think about somebody else. Be more ready to try to pray for and strengthen our brother and our sister than to have some critical attitude that enters our heart about them. Because here's the thing, when you form some critical attitude of judgment in your heart against something that you've heard of or learned of or have seen somebody else do or have done, what happens is that's just this first little fat piece of fabric that breaks and that fabric that binds you to that person. And it's just a little tear. And it tears a little bit more. And it can tear a little bit further. It tears a little bit further. And before you know it, that which once may have been a strong bond of brotherly or sisterly love finds itself to be separated altogether. What I'm trying to tell you is that a critical attitude in your heart does not foster a heart of love. Yet we are called to love. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Now, two more things I want to close. One is this. There are some, I believe, 14, if I counted right, times in Scripture, and some of these might be referenced in the same account, but 14 times in Scriptures where we read about Jesus having compassion towards a person or towards a group of people. He was coming into Jerusalem there just about a, a week before he'd be resurrected, just a few days before his crucifixion. He was coming into Jerusalem. We hear about the pomp and the circumstance that he entered in on. That's why we have Palm Sunday where they put those branches on the ground and he came in riding on the back of a donkey and we see him coming into Jerusalem. There's another place in Scripture where it tells us that he wept over the city. 
At one point it says that Jesus saw the multitudes that were around him and that they were like sheep that were without a shepherd. And the scripture tells us that Jesus was moved, how? Moved in compassion towards me. If your first response to something, to someone, is to have a critical attitude or idea in your heart towards them, you are not showing the compassion that Christ did. I want to say that again. When the first thing that enters in your your heart, when you hear or see something about someone else, is a critical attitude or idea about them, you are not exercising or following after the, the compassion that Christ had. What do you think? Well, this is an example all of us will understand. What do you think when you pass somebody who's a homeless beggar on the side of the street? I know what goes through a lot of our hearts. Well, you know, that's probably one of those where they pick them up and they go and drop them off at different places. They don't really need my help. They're probably going to use it for the wrong things. Well, you know, I, I, I can't trust them. You know, he's out here every day. On and on, all these reasons... Why we won't dig out a measly two quarters out of our pocket and give it to somebody. We have a critical attitude in our hearts when we see somebody begging too many times, don't we? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I do it. Coming up to this stoplight, here's this guy panhandling. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to struggle not to make eye contact. But I know that if I do, my heart's going to break. I'm guessing most of you are probably better than I am. You probably just dig out every every penny you got and give to them. I hope you do. But I think the reality is because I've spent some time with you in those situations that you end up with a critical attitude in your heart like a lot of people do. And we're faced with it on every side. Yet Jesus looked out at a multitude that were like sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with compassion Oh, that we would be more like Jesus. And if we're ever going to be more like Jesus to the world, it's going to start by being more like Jesus here. And if we're too busy adopting a critical attitude and opinion about others in the church, how are we ever going to be free from that in the community around us? Church, I mean it when I'm telling you this thing has grieved me. I'm not preaching these things from a heart that finds these things to be trivial, but I believe this to be impacting us in a big way. The reality, this is the second thing I wanted to get to. Let's get to the root of this. Paul was writing to Titus. He was writing to Titus, and he was writing on the subject of false teachers. But in that subject, when he was writing upon false teachers, he got down to the crux of the matter of of what the issue was with false teachers, which I think is the same issue here with this. Is that ultimately the reason why we have these critical attitudes, it reflects a heart problem. The same way any of our inadequacies in the flesh ultimately relate back to, it's a heart problem. What he came around to was this, when Paul was writing there to Timothy, He said, unto the pure, all things are pure. (laughs) I love that. 
When I have a pure conscience before God, you can walk into my house and demand everything, and I will think of that as pure as though somehow I might be able to help somebody. This thief must have a big need. Sit down and talk to me about it. How can I help you? Because you're here. You want more than my television. You must have a need. How can I help you with it, thief? To the pure, all things are pure. I think Paul is probably actually writing with in mind what he had wrote in different places, like he wrote to the Corinthians about the subject of meat. About how we have a free conscience with regard to meat, but if somebody else doesn't, we won't eat meat for not our conscience' sake, but for the sake of my brother or for my sister. But I think the same characteristics applies even in that vein. That to the pure, all things are pure. Listen to me, if you spend a lot of time in prayer and with the Lord, no matter what you see other people doing, you're going to be free from that critical attitude that you would immediately adopt. Instead, you'll bow your heart in prayer and say, God, I wonder what's going on in that person's life. I'm going to call them up and talk to them. Say, what's going on? You know, I see this going on about you. I'm worried. (laughs) Can I help you somehow? Instead, we're... Dang, I can't believe they did that. Makes me lose a lot of respect for that person. We just move on, don't we? My, how much stronger the kingdom of God would be if God's people showed more compassion towards each other. What prevents this? Talks about the heart. Paul goes on there when he was writing to Titus. He says, he went on to say to them, unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Last week as I was preaching about God's call to us to repent and to pull out of worldliness and to draw closer to the holiness of God, The reality that we saw is that when we have a mind that is more godly, that we find ourselves better able to rise above those worldly things. A critical heart and a critical attitude is a hallmark, it is a characteristic that follows the worldly heart. When you're caught up in worldliness, you're going to have a critical attitude towards believers. And if you wonder on what grounds I can say that, Have you ever met an atheist who thinks real highly of Christians? I generally haven't. Maybe there's some out there. I don't know. But they don't. They're worldly. They're secular. And so they don't find goodness about the Christian. What prevents this ultimately is a heart issue. And I'm calling you that you would spend more time with the Lord as He would help you escape this critical attitude. Well, what's the other reason? The other reason is that we are resigned to having critical attitudes because we believe there are things that prevent us from going to others to develop a deep understanding about them. That if I go to them with this, they are going to be very sensitive in how they receive it. They're going to be defensive. They're going to just receive it from the, the wrong heart, the wrong understanding. And so I'm not going to go to them at all. It seems like every time that I go to this person, there's something about them that, that just prevents them from letting me in and, and from relating to me what's going on in their lives and, and what their circumstance is. 
See, there's a ditch on both sides. There's the ditch which we adopt this hypercritical attitude where we remove ourselves from the expectation of love, that love bears all things and love believes all things. The ditch on the other side is that that person that would otherwise have somebody else develop a critical attitude or thought towards them or opinion towards them, when that person tries to make it over that ditch and, and come to them, they're in this other ditch where they are hypersensitive to receiving it. The reality is that both need to find themselves out of the ditch and back on the narrow way of following after Christ. Because what did Christ say? So that if any of you have an offense before someone else, go to them. Go to them in private. You ain't got to make a big deal about it to anybody. Don't even bother telling anyone, go to them. Derek, you know, somebody just did this to me, go to them. Don't, don't say another word to me, you go to them. Go to them. But he also said this. He says, if any man has ought against someone else, to forgive them. You know what that word ought means? I think sometimes we think that it must be, because we connect it with these other passages of Scripture, that it must be an offense, or that there's some wrongdoing that was done. What the word ought means is anything. If anyone has anything against somebody else, you know what our expectation is of the Lord? That we would forgive them. That we would forgive them. Here's to sum it all up, as Peter did. I'm convinced that we have an ailment as a church which we have fostered for too long a critical attitude and a critical opinion about the things that go on with others. We need to repent of that. When we repent of that, our instruction from the Lord, from Christ, is that if anyone has something against somebody else, anything against them, to forgive them. Whatever you've been critical in your heart about, critical in your mind about, you take it to the Lord, you ask Him to help you forgive that person, and you get it covered up. That you might have a good relationship with that person without any bias in your heart against them over petty attitudes and critical thoughts you've had in your heart that you've never even bothered to share with them in the first place. I want to just ask you a very simple question. How can anybody ever overcome your critical attitude or opinion about them if they have no idea that you have in your heart a critical attitude or opinion about them in the first place? Can't be done, can it? Christ has called us that if you have anything against your brother or against your sister to forgive them. How are we to forgive? We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. How are we to be patient? We are to be patient as Christ is patient with us. I'm so glad He's patient with me. How are we to be compassionate? We are to be compassionate as Christ has been compassionate towards us. And there is no higher calling of compassion than that one. Because Christ one time was moved in compassion for a sinful nine-year-old boy. And he saw that sinful nine-year-old boy's heart as he was longing and begging that God would save him. <laughs> Thanks be to God, he was moved in compassion by that little boy's heart. <laughs> and he reached down and he saved him. So 
Guys, we would repent of our critical attitudes. May God fill us with compassion. I want to read just one more time in closing those same four verses I read to start. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly or rudely. It does not seek its own and is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong that has been suffered. Oh, thank you, God, for your love. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And it endures all things. I guess, church, what I'm calling us to is a renewed and deep love for one another. God help us.